we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Trust me, I'm the doctor. This is Dr. Marilyn Singleton, and welcome to this episode of America Out Loud Pulse on America Out Loud Talk Radio. A second opinion is, or it ought to be, a staple of medicine. Second opinions can help you make better decisions about your health. In one large national survey, one-fifth of patients who saw a doctor in the past year got a second opinion. According to one study, a second opinion affected treatment plans for 37% of patients and changed diagnoses for almost 15%. And why should you get a second opinion? Sometimes your insurer requires one, especially for surgery or expensive treatments. I doubt they're looking out for you. I'm sure they just want to save a few bucks. If you have an unclear diagnosis or want an expert on your condition, you should definitely talk to another physician. It may turn out that the recommendations are the same, but if you're still uncomfortable, get a third opinion. One really important reason that that you should get a second opinion is if your treatment isn't working or you think it seems risky or you have a lot of side effects. And you might wonder, is such treatment really necessary? On the flip side, always get a second opinion if your doctor tells you that you have no options. And to remember, ask if waiting is an option. One of the things I can thank COVID for is that it exposed the flaws in the follow the science mantra. It got doctors asking, who's science? It got doctors asking, does anybody really have the last word in how to treat patients? Everybody remembers statins, low-fat diets, and a whole lot of differing things that have happened in medicine. I have a few personal rules about treatment. The doctor is not always right. In a trusting relationship, your doctor will welcome your questions and offer that you get another opinion. He or she will not be insulted if you ask whether the treatment is really necessary. Never feel rushed unless it's a real emergency. It's your body and the final choice is up to you. Just as an aside, I have to say, during COVID, many doctors were whipped into submission by fear and intimidation but standing your ground works. Physician filed lawsuits against California's AB 2098, which they called the misinformation law. And that law threatened doctors with the loss of their license if they disagreed with the official scientific consensus on COVID-19. Then magically, in a last minute amendment to a completely different bill, AB 2098 was repealed. So it works to stand your ground. 
In today's episode, my guest and I will talk about medical opinions, medical consensus, the legal standard of care, and he's somebody who has always stood his ground. Dr. Richard Amerling is a board-certified internist and nephrologist, that's a kidney doctor, with over 35 years of clinical experience, mostly in New York City. In 2016, he took a position at St. George's University and taught there until July 2021 when he refused the COVID vaccine. Dr. Amerling is also past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. Welcome to the show, Dr. Amerling. It's so great to be here again, Dr. Singleton, my favorite past president of AAPS. <laughs> oh, you say that to all the girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, medicine has gotten so crazy about so many things, and we're going to talk about some of that craziness. And you have been studying guidelines and scientific consensus and you've been practicing medicine and you've seen the intersection between good medical practice and what the big boys say. So let's just start off. How do you think medicine got to where you have these people putting out guidelines and they're trying to say they're the standards when people who practice medicine do other things? What, what has happened? Well, it came down to the acceptance by the medical profession of this notion of evidence-based medicine. That is what got the ball rolling, and that became the basis for guideline committees to be pulled together to come up with statements on best practices. These guideline committees were, in my view, a product of big pharma. Big Pharma saw this as a huge opportunity to market their products. They seized on this concept of best evidence and evidence-based medicine to pull these doctors together, most of whom have financial conflicts of in interest with that industry. They're either speakers or researchers or consultants, but they're getting paid by the industry. So they're friendly and predisposed to the pharmaceutical model of care and that is why we have all these clinical practice guidelines. Uh, and they they started out small, but they got bigger and bigger and more and more encompassing. And they are uh, dominating medical practice now. And I saw this firsthand when I was teaching down at St. George's University. The guidelines are stressed in all the clinical areas uh, to the detriment of basic sciences. And if you understand basic sciences, you don't need guidelines. You can come up with your own treatment strategy based on disease pathophysiology and be effective. The guidelines have this one-size-fits-all concept, which has now become promoted as a standard of care. And that's where we get into real trouble. And this is what uh, I think has happened to medicine we have gone from the very loosey-goosey concept of standard of care, which means that you treat patients according to an ethical precept, which is basically the Hippocratic Oath. You, you honor them and you respect them. You inform them, you educate them, and you have shared decision-making. 
and you treat them as you would a family member. That is the standard of care. But what they have done very cleverly is that they've morphed standard of care into standardized care, meaning that if you don't give care based on these clinical practice guidelines, you're outside the standard and you can be held liable. And this is extremely dangerous. And this is where this is how we got to this whole idea of um, medicine by fiat and centrally controlled medicine, which is what we're living right now. Well, you know, I'm sure everybody out there, or certainly a lot of folks listening, have had that experience where their doctor has told them to take this drug or that drug without even saying, well, you know, why don't you try this? Why don't you try eating more greens and less candy? You know, whatever it might be. And sometimes I wonder who's the laziest. And I think it's the doctor who doesn't take the time to sit down with the patient because getting a patient to do lifestyle changes is certainly a lot more difficult than scribbling down a prescription or typing it into the computer. And and then for the person, it's like, oh boy, I have a pill. So now I don't have to exercise and eat right. I mean, both sides of both the patients and the doctors have to kind of revise our way of thinking. How do you how do you deal with that? Well, doctors aren't even being taught that anymore. I mean, they are being force-fed these uh, practice guidelines, which are a substitute for critical thinking and clinical reasoning. Uh, the guideline approach, based on evidence-based medicine, elevates certain types of evidence above others. For example, the randomized controlled trial the meta-analyses are the top of the hierarchy of evidence-based medicine. They denigrate actual clinical experience of doctors, which is crucial to good medical care. They also denigrate basic science. Basic science is the basis of scientific medical practice. And if you disregard the basic science and just going to follow uh, evidence-based medicine, you're going to be using a database of scientific literature, medical literature, that is dominated by big pharma and largely controlled by them. They they finance these randomized controlled trials. That's what they're really good at. These randomized controlled trials can be manipulated by them to create virtually any kind of outcome that they want that is going to help them market their products. And that's what they are. They really are studies that are for, for drug marketing. They write the papers, they design the study, they write the papers, and then they give guest authorship to whatever key opinion leader is in their pay. And and it comes across as a scientific article published in a prestigious journal like the New England Journal of Medicine or The Lancet. These journals are, in fact, very heavily influenced and controlled by pharma advertising, pharma money. When they have one of their drug studies, they they get reprints of the study that they spend millions of dollars on and they give those reprints out to their doctors to the doctors who their representatives go visit so this is a huge source of income for the journals and they therefore toe the line and they 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 only really publish what the farm industry wants them to publish they don't they never publish the negative studies and this has been looked at 
especially in the area of uh, psychiatric medicine. For example, the SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors that are given out by candy, unfortunately, for not only depression, but all sorts of other mental disorders now. Uh, the studies that end up being published are the are the positive studies. And what is a positive study? Well, yeah, yeah, you know, you you improve a few points on a depression scale. And that's that's the the end point. You know, it's ridiculous. But the studies that are negative never see the light of day. And if you look at a balanced view of the negative and the positive studies, they don't work. The drugs simply don't work. But the evidence base that doctors look at, if they even look at anything, is biased towards prescribing pharmaceutical products. So all the guideline recommendations that come out are going to have that bias, and they all do. Hypertension, cholesterol, diabetes, all these are about pushing more and more drugs. They never address the actual disease. They only talk now about treating risk factors for disease, such as your blood pressure, your cholesterol level, your hemoglobin A1C level for diabetes. They never really talk about treating and reversing the disease. When in fact, if you have a pathophysiologic approach, you can reverse so many of these chronic diseases. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that because more and more you're seeing as, as the population ages that over the years, an elder has been put on one drug after another. First, it was a blood pressure drug, then it was a statin, then it was some other drug to treat the side effects of the statin, and on and on. And so many people, fortunately, the doctors are starting to recognize this and doing a drug sweep and just saying, wait a minute, let's start from scratch here. And then you find out Perhaps the person doesn't need any of them. They were all doing counteracting things and causing side effects that were making the patient's life very unpleasant. And like you say, never getting to the root of the problem. Yeah, it's such a reductive approach to medical care, which is infinitely complicated. I mean, and it's uh, it's very challenging. However, the basics are not, and we know the basics, and we know that much of disease originates with a toxic diet. And we've been put on a toxic diet by the Dietary Guidelines for Americans that came out in the late 70s. Uh, and these were produced by the Senate, by a subcommittee of the Senate run by George McGovern. And they were heavily influenced by big food through at least the uh, auspices of Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble was paid $1.6 million by, uh, sorry, paid $1.6 million to the American Heart Association, which was a, a ragtag group of cardiologists back in the 50s. They put them on the map financially. And then the American Heart Association hired this uh, pseudo physiologist, Ansel Keys, who was pushing the fat causes heart disease model called the diet heart hypothesis, which was based on nothing at all. Uh, he, he put together this fraudulent study called the seven countries study, where he looked at incident rates of coronary artery disease and compared it with fat intake in various countries around the world. 
but he only cherry-picked the seven countries that, that conform to his preordained theory that dietary saturated fat causes heart disease. He omitted certain countries like France and Germany, both of whom consume very high amounts of saturated animal fat, yet have very low rates of coronary artery disease. So this was a fraudulent study, but this became the basis for the dietary guidelines that pushed for reductions in saturated fat, such as animal fat, butter, uh, bacon, lard, tallow, <clears throat> and substitute for that these fake fats that were industrially produced by a very heavy process from various vegetable seeds, not from vegetables. And most people are unaware of this. They think that vegetable oils are inherently healthy. You produce them by just squeezing vegetables and you get the oil out of them. No, that is not how it works. You are well, industrially well, processing these seeds and they're highly toxic. Well, we're going to talk some more about that because suddenly ultra processed foods are in the news and CNN even has a uh, little thingy what are you, where you can put in your menu and put in hamburger and add french fries or what to drink and it's going to calculate how ultra processed it is and what you can substitute so suddenly ultra processed foods are on people's radar and of course it should have been a long time ago so we'll talk about that more after the break Right now, I would just like to thank everyone for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. And I'm going to talk about something I talk about all the time. It's Cofix RX. We're in the midst of cold and flu season, and we still want to get out there and be around people. So we've got to protect ourselves. And Cofix RX is simple it's a nasal spray, it's iodine and some xylitol both of which have antiviral properties. And remember, most of these viruses come in through our nose. And if we can stop them in that first couple of days while they're incubating there, we can reduce that invasion that gets all the way down to our lungs. So think about that. Just try to think about a way to protect yourself in a nasal spray is something simple and, uh, I use it all the time. I use it particularly when I go out grocery shopping or someplace where I'm around people that I'm not normally around and um, might pick up something inadvertently from strangers. So um, that's kind of how I use it. And a lot of doctors and pharmacists recommend it. And the best part for me, it was invented in the USA and it's manufactured in the USA. So what could be better than that? We've got a little co-fix button on our page. Click it on, read more about it, see if it's right for you. Co-fix RX nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. 
Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Before the break, we were talking with Dr. Richard Ammerling about food and diet. And I uh, had mentioned now ultra-processed foods are suddenly on the radar. Um, talk a little more about diet and food and kind of you were talking about these things have a scientific basis and some of the science that's behind it's okay to eat some fat it has to be the right kind of fat but it's okay to eat it and what went wrong with the food pyramid that the government put out well Marilyn I hate to admit it but I am old enough to remember when most Americans were actually slim. <laughs> Back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, people were slim. Nobody worked out, particularly, just the, the nuts, you know, the nutcases were out there jogging or or going to the gym. There weren't that many gyms. We had the Y, right, where you could go. Uh, and only the athletes and the jocks were out there doing anything, any kind of regular exercise. Uh, no one was really focused on diet back then. People kind of ate <clears throat> what they wanted to eat, but no one got fat. It was unusual to see an obese person. I mean, now it's unusual to see a slim person. So what happened? Well, the big shift was, was in my view, this shift away from saturated fat and to, and to substitute for them these fake vegetable, so-called vegetable oils, all of which are high in omega-6 fatty acids, which be are inflammatory precursors, inflammatory mediator precursors, and also generate a lot of reactive oxygen species when they're metabolized in the body. And also, particularly when they are heated, when they're heated, they break down into aldehydes, which are highly toxic chemicals. So this is what people were told to eat. The food industry jumped in with all these processed foods, and virtually all of them have these so-called vegetable oils, canola, safflower oil, soybean oil is a huge one, sunflower oil, rapeseed oil. These are all highly toxic, pro-inflammatory, and pro-obesity fats. And to, to make this substitution actually destroyed the health of the nation, you see right around 1980, the obesity epidemic starts. It's very clear, right? It just goes up and up and up the percentage of Americans who are considered to be obese. And it's now well over 50%. And in certain states, it's even higher. And this is truly shocking and has devastated the national health because along with obesity, obesity is really a marker for the metabolic syndrome, which is central obesity, hypertension, predisp predisposition to type 2 diabetes, prediabetes, if you will, and vascular disease, including cardiovascular disease. 
Uh, this is the epidemic that is killing Americans literally by the millions. And it's all related to the adoption of these ridiculous dietary guidelines, which are still going on, by the way, and they still recommend reducing saturated fat. And the American Heart Association still recommends reducing saturated fat. There is zero scientific evidence that this is effective in decreasing heart attack rates or mortality. And in fact, I didn't, many people are unaware of this. Some of the studies that were done back in the, I guess, 60s and 70s, uh, such as the Minnesota Coronary Experiment, the Sydney Heart Study, and the New York Coronary Club Study, showed that the groups that were given the unsaturated fats that were high in linoleic acid did worse. They had more heart attacks and they died at a higher rate. This was buried. This data was buried for decades. So the authors of the study of these studies, one of which was Ansel Keys, of course, were frauds. They buried the inconvenient data because it didn't conform to their diet heart hypothesis. Had this data come out, it would have probably prevented the widespread adoption of these guidelines. But the fast food industry relies on these fake fats because they're cheap. Real fat is expensive. Real olive oil is expensive. Olive oil is a benign oil, but it is heavily adulterated in most uh, bottles, right? You have to get, you have to pay a lot of money for real olive oil. So the well, cheap oils- Is some, some of that so it'll have a shelf life? Yeah, they do. They do. They get bad quickly. Uh, olive oils are overrated. I like olive oil, but it has to be very high quality and expensive olive oil. And I use it for my salad dressings uh, to the extent that I eat salads. Uh, and that is okay. But the saturated fats actually are better. You, you Ideally, you want no double bonds in the fatty acids. And olive oil has monounsat monounsaturated, which is one, uh, one double bond. But these polyunsaturated have multiple double bonds, and these double bonds create instability and are make them prone to oxidation and free radical formation. So they're inherently unhealthy. Yet you cannot find food in, a, in the typical supermarket that does not have these added. I look, because I'm a fan, for example, of a good salted pretzel. And it's very hard, if not impossible, to find pretzels that are not processed with canola oil or chips, you know, corn chips for dipping into salsa. Salsa I like, <laughs> but you can't find a corn chip that doesn't have canola oil. It's horrible what they have done to food. It really is. Most food in supermarkets today I consider to be toxic. You have to get whole foods, real meat, real eggs, preferably from pastured uh, hens, uh, meat that has been raised, uh, taken from grass-fed cattle is, is preferential. You don't really want grain-fed meat. Sadly, that's dominant. Uh, grain-fed pork is also dominant. You really want pastured pork to the extent that that's possible. Uh, whole food, real milk, whole milk, whole cheese, full-fat cheese, full-fat yogurt. The yogurt that they push with low zero fat is the worst stuff in the world. Stay away from that stuff. It's loaded with sugar because no one can tolerate it otherwise. So sugar and fat 
destroyed the American waistline and American health. And the latest I'll, I'll just throw out there, maybe we can get into it at some point, is this absurd notion that people need to limit their salt intake. No, salt is essential for life. You need more salt, not less salt. Many people walking around today are borderline, if not frankly, salt depleted. Salt depletion is harmful to your health. It triggers counter-regulatory hormones, such as the sympathetic nervous system and the renin-angiotensin system, and you do not want these systems turned on chronically. That's very unhealthy. Now, remember, folks, Dr. Amerling is a kidney doctor, so he does indeed know what he's talking about here. Just as an aside, go on. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I'm drinking right now salt-enriched water, <laughs> okay, because... Ew, you know, yuck. <laughs> you, you lose a lot of electrolytes over the course of a day, and you don't get them from most foods. And the fact that they've taken salt out of so many foods, I think, is deleterious. It's hard well, to even find pretzels with, with salt. Well, they replace it with more sugar. Yes. Because everybody knows it's, you know, what's the right word? Unpalatable. If a food doesn't have some element of salt and sugar and unless it's whole food, like you mentioned, something that just popped right out of the ground, which is very good, like if you eat broccoli or cauliflower, things that people make fun of. But if they're actually fresh, they have a lot of natural flavor to them. If they, But mostly, unfortunately, the stuff has been sitting around in the store so long, it's old when you buy it. And, uh, you know, so a lot of the flavor's gone. It's so true. It's so true. You know, this idea that, uh, for example, salt causes hypertension uh, is so wrong on so many levels. There is, there is a very small fraction of individuals who have what we call salt-sensitive hypertension. And you do see this particularly in the African-American population. But the majority of so-called hypertension, and that diagnosis is of course, always questionable because of how you measure blood pressure, where you measure blood pressure, and variables such as that, that uh, the idea that the whole population needs to restrict salt is absolutely unfounded. It's absolutely harmful. Uh, you need probably five to 10 grams of salt in your diet every day just to be even. I see patients who are hypertensive and I always check their salt status clinically because you can you can determine that by good physical examination. And very few are salt overloaded, hardly any. Most are salt depleted. The um, the salt reduction is going to be almost as harmful, I predict, as fat reduction in the diet in terms of our overall health. Uh, <clears throat> you do not need to restrict salt. Most hypertension today is due to sugar excess, the metabolic syndrome. And it's been known for years that if you reduce weight, most hypertension gets better. Well, that's because you you cut down on the metabolic syndrome. If you cut down on sugar, reduce carbohydrates, most hypertension gets better, as does most type 2 diabetes. And this is what has been missing from American medicine now for many years. And it's one of the reasons why I believe we've had, we've seen worsening 
life expectancy, even pre-COVID, because our approach to these disease states, a pill for every ill, has been harmful. Well, it's really sad because... I see the commercials on TV and, you know, there can be some positives about showing new drugs and whatnot on TV, but the way they're advertised to me is so disingenuous. And one that particularly gets me are the Ozempic and Jardians ads where they have people who are overweight, but they're happy because now they've found Jardians. And <laughs> It's, it's just so maddening to me that suddenly this pill is curing, quote unquote, everything. And underneath, they still have the metabolic syndrome. Yeah, I mean, I've been against the Ozempic fad from the beginning. This is a flawed approach to weight loss. The only sound approach to weight loss is to have a proper diet, fundamentally. So to think that you're going to cure obesity by giving this pill is just fundamentally wrong. The drug works through me mechanisms that I think are harmful, such as inducing total satiety to the point of nausea. I mean, a lot of people actually get nauseated on these drugs, and they don't want to ever eat, which is not healthy. Uh, and you will tend to lose muscle mass as opposed to fat with that kind of an approach. They also raise insulin levels. And the, the underlying pathophysiology of metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes is hyperinsulinemia. Your insulin levels are already high because your cells resist insulin. So to give a drug that increases insulin is just fundamentally flawed, and I, I discourage it. And it's known now, of course, that as soon as you stop the drug, you gain the weight right back. What does that mean? You're going to be on this expensive pill for the rest of your life or the shots you the know, shot. for the rest of your life? Uh, it's ridiculous. So I discourage that strongly. Now, Jardians is a slightly different case. So Jardians is one of a group of drugs called SGLT2 inhibitors. SGLT is the sodium glucose transporter that exists both in the intestine and also in the kidneys tubules. And it's responsible for reabsorbing salt and glucose out of the urine and reclaiming those because they're useful to the body. Well, if you block that, that uh, system with these drugs, you no longer reabsorb uh, glucose from the urine. So gl glucose is filtered by the kidney, but then reabsorbed almost completely up to a level, right? If your blood sugar level goes above, say, 200 or 250, then the kidney cannot reabsorb all that sugar and it starts to spill. And that's what we call gly glycosuria or sugar in the urine. And that used to be a marker of diabetes out of control. Well, in a way, yes, but it's also your body getting rid of the sugar, which is an adaptive response to high blood sugar. So these drugs <clears throat> lower the threshold at which the kidney starts to dump the sugar to the point where you actually can effectively lower your blood sugar in, and you do it while also simultaneously getting rid of the extra sugar. So that is a good approach in my view, from a pathophysiologic point of view to the treatment of hyperglycemia, right? It does not address the underlying metabolic syndrome, but it is useful as a way to get back to good metabolic health 
uh, while also simultaneously reducing blood sugar. So I, I do like the SGLT2 inhibitors as a transition to diabetes reversal because it does promote a certain amount of weight loss and it doesn't throw that sugar into your cells, which is what most of the diabetes drugs do. Well, this is very good information, and you've explained it very well, where I think a layman can understand. When we get back for our last segment, we'll talk a little bit about when you talked about lowering blood sugar, it made me think of tests and how sometimes we treat the tests. Sometimes it's useful, like what you just described about sugar, but sometimes you wonder about the tests they're using to gauge, and we'll talk a little bit more about overall what's happening in medicine, what's happening with doctors, and so much, so much to talk about, so little time. So when after the break, we'll get into that. Right now, I would like to thank everyone for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. As you know, we are always a beat ahead. You can hear us every weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern with an encore at 10 p.m. and on iHeartRadio at 8 a.m. the next morning. You can listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. The good part is all shows go direct to podcast in 24 hours, and the episodes are on lots of podcast networks, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeart. So make it easy, bookmark americaoutloud.news forward slash pulse. On our shows that I think is fun and keeps it from getting shall I ever use the word boring, which we never are, we've got a different doctor every day. I'm on on Mondays, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. Tuesdays, we have Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley. Wednesday, we have Dr. Peter McCulloch. Thursday, Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan. And Fridays with Dr. Harvey Reich. And if that's not enough, we've got Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday, at 10 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 11 p.m. So there you go. Lots of medicine, lots of politics, always interesting. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. 
Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It works. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Before the break, I was talking with Dr. Amerling. I wanted his opinion on treating to the test numbers. What about some of these tests that we get when we go to the doctor? I mean, certainly many are useful. They help pick up kidney disease and uh, metabolic problems, anemia, the basic things you get tested for. But should everything always be treated? And how do you treat it? And we get back to our old friends. Is it always a drug? What about that? Well, this has sadly become the, the medical model treating numbers as opposed to patients. And this has, we've been led here by the evidence-based medicine scam and by the guidelines scam, but, and it's an easy approach fundamentally for doctors and non-doctors, right? Because increasingly you're being treated by non-doctors, people who don't have the extensive training uh, in pathophysiology, for example, that I went through or even clinical management, that they simply are, you know, lower level people. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not as people, but as practitioners, they just don't have the same skills and training that the doctors traditionally had less and less now, unfortunately, but uh, that's another topic. <laughs> um, but yes, to treat numbers is, you can be quite brain dead and be able to read a number from a test and say, ah, oh, that number is too high. Let's give you drug X. That's the medical model right now. And that's what most people experience when they go to their doctors. They get a bunch of blood tests done. And if anything is out of line, well, then there's a drug for that. And the common ones, of course, are the cholesterol, right? That big, bad cholesterol everybody is so terrified of. Uh, and if your cholesterol is a little bit too high, well, you need a drug. You need a statin drug. Statins are particularly harmful toxins that do lower cholesterol, but they do not prolong life. They are a huge scam, a moneymaker for pharma going way back. The whole diet heart cholesterol hypothesis is, in my view, utter nonsense. Uh, cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease. I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, cholesterol is a vital substance that virtually every cell in the body can synthesize. The statins interfere with that biosynthetic pathway at a very early step. And this leads to not only depletion of cholesterol, which as I said, is vital, but of other extremely important compounds such as dolichols, ultimately vitamin D is made from cholesterol. All the 
uh, steroid hormones, testosterone, estrogen, aldosterone are all made from cholesterol. There is, it's hard to think of a more vital substance that the body makes than cholesterol. So the idea that we're, we're going to block the synthesis of this miracle stuff and have a good outcome is ludicrous on its face. And these, this pathway has been extremely deleterious to our health. We could spend a day getting into the toxic side effects of statins, but I'll just point out some of the huge ones, which are muscle damage, including heart muscle, brain brain damage. The cholesterol, cholesterol is needed by the brain for synaptic function. Synapses are the way that brain cells and all nerve cells communicate between each other. And if you deplete brain cholesterol, you're going to get dementia. And this is one of the major side effects of statins. In fact, I think that statins are the leading cause of dementia right now. I don't have numbers to back that up, but it because statin use is so extensive and dementia is on the rise, I attribute that to statin use. So that's one aspect of treating numbers that I think has been extremely harmful. Uh, treating the blood pressure number is also a harmful approach. Treating the hemoglobin A1C by hammering the blood sugar level with insulin and other harmful drugs, I think is a horrible approach. Again, we should be looking to reverse the disease, not treat numbers. You know, it used to be that, uh, you you know, we called perfect numbers when you got a whole set of lab tests that came back normal, Harvard numbers, right? <laughs> you ever hear that expression, Marilyn? <laughs> <laughs> or, or when I was making rounds as an intern at Bellevue, one of my jobs was to fill in the lab spreadsheet every day, uh, which was, of course, by hand. We didn't have computers back then. And it, if all those numbers and little boxes were filled in, the patient was considered euboxic. Did you ever hear that term? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so no, we, we, we called it. There was a TV show called Dialing for Dollars back when I was an intern. It had been on for years. And at the the host of the of the game show would say, after they spun this wheel or whatever, they'd say, what's the count and what's the amount? And that's what we'd say for morning rounds. What's the count? What's the amount? And it was just like numbers, right. numbers, numbers. Right. Numbers are key in nephrology, I have to say. I mean, we analyze the basic chemistry electrolyte panel, you know, BUN, creatinine, that stuff is like our bread and butter. And we look at it in a particular way and we get a lot of information from it. But that's not what the average doctor does. The average doctor is doing a battery of tests and looking for something that they can throw a drug at. Uh, sad but true, treating numbers. Well, and we have to, have to get away from that. And a lot of times there's certain numbers that perhaps the patient should get drawn that aren't routine. A lot of people don't get vitamin D levels, and now we're discovering vitamin D is so much more important than people have thought it was for years. And uh, apparently, and I don't know this, and I don't know if you know, whether sunscreen screens out vitamin D or whether you can still get the vitamin D conversion, even if you're using sunscreen. But that's something that's changed. And I'll have to ask a dermatologist. <laughs> I don't know if it, if it matters, but a lot of people 
are low in vitamin D. So there's a lot of stuff going on in our diets, the way we live, staying indoors too much and not getting outside. And I remember when COVID, I almost hate to use the word COVID, it's like a four-letter word, <laughs> that when oldsters were the ones that were more affected in people in nursing homes. And all I could think of after it came out that if you had good vitamin D levels, you did better with COVID. I thought, well, if you're in a nursing home, you're not getting outside. So you're not going to get any vitamin D at all. And obviously nobody drew levels on all those people. But I always wondered whether the nursing home people, obviously they were somewhat frail. That's why they were in a nursing home in the first place. But I wonder what their vitamin D levels were. Yeah, no, it's such a good point. Uh, vitamin D is very important. I think it's a complex story. You know, we uh, in nephrology are heavily interested in vitamin D and its role because kidneys are involved in the synthesis of the active form of vitamin D. The vitamin D that you take over the counter is not active. It has to be activated first by the liver and then by the kidney to be truly biologically active. And in all these, all these uh, studies about vitamin D and COVID, for example, virtually no one is looking at the active form of vitamin D, 125D. So that's a complicated issue. But yes, a lot of people are deficient. I don't think that uh, you get much vitamin D synthesis with sunscreen. Uh, obviously, of course, you're, most of us wear clothes. We're not out there nudist. So we're, we're not really making a lot of vitamin D. Supplementation does make sense. But again, uh, it should be taken with others such as K2. K2 is a very neglected vitamin, which is essential for the, is a cofactor in the production of two key hormones, osteocalcin and matrix protein. These two hormones assure that the calcium that you take in with your D is getting into bone and not going into soft tissue, such as your arteries. So I recommend taking vitamin D with K2 uh, don't take vitamin D alone and don't take a lot of calcium alone. This whole idea that you need a gram or two grams of calcium a day is just, you know, pulled out of thin air. You don't need that much. But other things to measure that are useful, we talked about cholesterol. The total cholesterol is a virtually useless number, as is the LDL cholesterol. But the HDL triglyceride ratio is a good marker. And if your HDL is high and your triglycerides are low, you're healthy. You are metabolically healthy. If your HDL is low and your tri triglycerides are high, you probably have metabolic syndrome. So that, that's a useful indicator. Also, iron. Iron is deficient in many women. Men, women lose iron throughout their reproductive years. And if you don't replace it, you're going to be iron deficient. Iron is needed by the brain and muscles. And it, you don't necessarily have to be anemic to suffer the ill effects of iron deficiency. So that's a useful test. Hormone levels are important, right? Screening for thyroid dysfunction with TSH is useful. Screening for menopause with FSH, LH is useful. Uh, I'll give you an anecdote. In my practice in New York, I would see patients and uh, I would notice, of course, dentition. Dentition is extremely important. So I would look in their mouths and people that had very bad dentition, bad gum disease, bad teeth, I would just empirically order vitamin C levels. Well, 
they were low or zero. <laughs> Uh, right? I mean, this is incredible. In New York City, I'm diagnosing scurvy from low vitamin C levels. So, wow. uh, you know, and vitamin C is such an easy supplement to take. I mean, everybody really should be taking vitamin C, in my view. Well, or certainly people aren't having fresh fruit. And a lot of people don't have fresh anything. And this kind of opens up a whole nother issue. And my goodness, with a, we only have a few minutes left. We'll have to have a whole nother show. Is do. What, what do you do for people who aren't in the position where they have fresh fruit, all these things? You know, people out in the country, the rural areas, all they have is the dollar store with frozen and canned stuff. And, <laughs> and they're, you know, there isn't fresh fruit. It's, it's, and it's a real problem. And, you know, it's like, what do you do for these folks? We want everybody to have good care and not just the people who can shop at, you know, the fancy organic stores. Well, you can still get fresh fruit in most supermarkets. You know, I always advise people to stay around the periphery of the store where they have all the fresh food, fresh fruit, fresh meat, etc. Dairy. Uh, stay away from the middle aisles. That's where all the processed junk with vegetable oil and sugar is. So that's a basic. You can also, if you have any kind of property or even without property, you can have your own little garden. Uh, you can raise tomatoes very easily. They grow like wildfire. Tomatoes are a good source of vitamin C. Um, you can grow a little lemon tree, lime trees, you know, if you have a little plot of land. Um, and of course, supplements are, vitamin C supplements are not a lot of money. And I, I don't think that this is a hardship for most. Again, it uh, people focus on buying cheap junk food for short-term uh, bottom line issues are missing the bigger picture. Their long-term health is so much more valuable. And I say, used to say to patients, well, you can either pay for healthy food, like you know, pasture-raised eggs, which by the way, aren't that expensive around here, um, or you can pay for insulin down the line when you get the metabolic syndrome from eating all this junk food. I mean, it's half a dozen of one, 12 of the, uh, six of the other. You, you make your choice and it's worth investing in a healthy diet. This is your body. Your body is constantly reinventing itself. Every cell in your body, with the exception of some, you know, some cells like nerve cells and some muscle cells re are, are being uh, destroyed and rebuilding all the time. This is the process that we call autophagy which is extremely healthy. This is how the body stays young, by digesting uh, bad organelles within cells and actually getting rid of bad cells and replacing them with new ones. And those new cells need high quality protein and high quality saturated fat and a good amount of water and electrolytes. That's what cells are made of, right? And of course, purines for the DNA and the RNA. You get this from meat, you get this from whole foods, and you're not going to get this from junk food. So if you're eating junk, you're literally making junk body parts all the time. It's a horrible thing. 
Well, that is, and that's a good note to end on, that we're constantly regenerating uh, our cells. And so we have to feed them good stuff. And all of us, and not just financially strapped people, but all of us spend too much money on junk food. And maybe before we pass that dollar across the counter, think, what could this dollar be better spent on? And, uh, you know, the people who make the junk food know what they're doing. They got that sweet spot, so to speak, that they figured out the right amount of sugar and the right amount of salt, and it hits that pleasure center in your brain. And it's hard to turn down, but we've got to. As a nation, we have to get healthy. And just as people, we have to get healthy. You've given us so much information, Dr. Amerling, and there's a lot of stuff I wanted to talk to you about, but our time ran out. So will you promise me to come back? Oh, of course. It's such a pleasure. Okay. So... I, at this point, we have to stop and I have to thank everybody for listening. This has just been fantastic. And as you know, Pulse is always a beat ahead. And I think today really showed it. And I'd like you to go to our email feature. And that's where you can email. First names are fine. If you have a question for the host or the guest, we'll get an answer back to you. And of course, now it's not so new anymore. We've got our americaoutloud.shop site, and that's got products from the wellness company, Cofix Rx, books written by our guests, as well as other books of interest. And if you put in a code out loud, you'll get a discount on these products. So... Thanks again for listening, and whether you agree or have other opinions, please share the show. And until next week, say it loud. I'm free and I'm proud.